Okay, well, I guess because I dropped it, it was having a little problem there, okay? So we're good now. <laughs> All right. Wow, that's scary. Those things are about, what, 600 bucks or something like that? <clears throat> I don't know. I remember one time I was doing a junior church, and uh, I used to always put it in my back pocket, and I did, in those days, I used to do all the mumbo-jumbo stories and all that, and I was flipping around and doing all kind of stuff, and I fell and landed right on it. <clears throat> yeah. Fortunately, I'm, I'm very... Soft and I'm very cushy and didn't hurt it in the least, but uh, no, it did. It destroyed it, to be honest with you. And <clears throat> so uh, we're a little more careful. I just started putting it on my side here, you know. So anyway, we're glad you're here tonight. And uh, boy, ladies, great job. Um, 
Boy, not only a great message, but just really did a fabulous job, and what a great blend that was, and I think that honors Christ when we do things like that, and <clears throat> we do our best, and we give Him our best, and take the time to practice and prepare like that. It, obviously, that didn't happen overnight. That took some time right there, and I think that always honors the Lord when we give it our very best. Very good, very good. All right, also another thing I thought about that group, too, is you notice the age of those girls. Uh, they're all very young up here. I thought that was encouraging to me. I love to see young people serving the Lord, you know? Isn't that a blessing? That's encouragement. <clears throat> now, let's take our Bibles, turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 18. Genesis 18. Genesis, chapter 18, beginning verse 1. We're going to read through verse 19. It won't take us too long. <clears throat> We're going to continue with our message from last week, commanding our children and households. And in Genesis chapter 18, beginning verse 1, <clears throat> we read, And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the door, tent door in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. When he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground and said, My Lord, if <clears throat> now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. <clears throat> Let a little water, I pray thee, be fetched and wash your feet and Rest yourselves under the tree, and I will fetch a morsel of bread, and comfort ye your hearts. After that ye shall pass on. <clears throat> For therefore are ye come to your servant. And they said, Do so, as thou hast said. And Moses hastened into the tent, and to Sarah, and said, Make ready quickly three measures of fine meal, kneaded, and make cakes upon the hearth. And Abraham ran unto the herd, and fetched a calf tender and good, and gave it unto a young man, he hasted to dress it. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he took butter and milk and the calf which he had dressed and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree and they did eat. They said unto him, Where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, Behold, in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of surety bear a child which am old? <clears throat> Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Then Sarah denied, saying, I laugh not, for she was afraid. And he said, Nay, but thou didst laugh. <clears throat> and the men rose up from thence and looked toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that, that thing which I do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I know him. And he will command his children and his household after him. And they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. That the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. So we find this verse here in verse 19 especially where it says, For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him. Well, I'll tell you what, that's a powerful statement. 
God believed that Abraham would command his children and his household after him. The word command means, as we said last week, to bid, to order, to direct, to charge, implying authority and power to control, to require obedience even. But again, we see here that what God was really saying is that he believed that Abraham would direct and that he would order his children like he directed and ordered himself. Because Abraham was a man, as we noted, of devotion and discipline. He believed that he would also order and direct his children in that same line of of faith, in that same line of discipline. And so he says, listen, should I withhold this information? I know this guy. And I know that he's a man of, of devotion. I know that he's a man of discipline. And I recognize the fact that he will command his children and his household well. <clears throat> well, the question tonight is, how are we doing with that? How are we commanding our households and our children? Boy, it's so important because in this case, the Bible says the Lord, it says, for I know him. You know what? The Lord really knows us too, doesn't he? And the fact is, he knows whether or not we're commanding our children and our households the way we ought to, according to the word of God or not. He's very aware of that. He's well aware of that. But the fact is today is that we need to evaluate and we need to assess ourselves somewhat. We need to look at our own lives and our own leadership and say, am I truly uh, commanding my household? And am I commanding my children as the word of God would intend me to? Well, I'll tell you what, God had confidence in Abraham's leadership that it would ultimately lead his children in the way of the Lord, he says. <clears throat> he uh, believed in his leadership and believed that that leadership would compel them to do justice and judgment. You know, our homes today are in dire need of direction, dire need of order, and dire need of obedience today. Well, I wonder, if you and I came face to face with Jesus Christ today, Would he have the same confidence in our ability to command our children and our household as he did Abraham's? Well, last week we began to talk about what it means, some practical steps that we can take to command our children and our households well. And last week we started off by saying we need to require all, require all in your home to attend the house of God and participate as you do. Number two, we said, we need to schedule time to elevate Christ in the home through family time around the Word. We're talking basically about having what many would consider a family devotional time, a time together around the Word of God. And we took some time to maybe dispel some of the myths about that. You don't have to spend an hour and a half gathered around. You don't have to bore your children half to death. You know, you just need to spend some time so that they recognize and understand that Christ is at the center of this home. He is the focal point of this household. <clears throat> then we said, number three, uh, we, need to pro- we need to protect your home and family from evil influences. And so we took some time to address that issue. We noted that the prophets of Israel were there to protect the people of God in the Old Testament. We noted that the preacher and the church, that situation, the, the pastor's there to protect the church. And then we said that the parent is there to protect the home. And it's so important that we understand that it's not just enough to protect our children from physical ailments or physical concerns, but we need to be spiritually concerned about them as well. We need to protect them in a spiritual realm. We need to guard them from false doctrine in the world. We need to keep the home pure from and free of dangerous practices. And we need to ensure that there's certain habits that are not 
allowed in our homes and established standards for television watching and internet use and phone access and social media and right on down the line. And so we noted those three aspects last week. Again, require all in your home to attend the house of God and participate as you do. Schedule time to elevate Christ in the home through family time around the word. Protect your home and family from evil influences. And now we pick up where we left off and we begin to continue with this list. Some very practical steps that we can take to command our children and households well. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll continue tonight. Father, we come to you and again we thank you for the opportunity to gather tonight around your word. And Lord, we'd be wasting our time to hear a mere man. We need to hear from you, the Master. O oh God of heaven, we need your Holy Spirit to drive home truths that, Father, will not only change our life today, but will change it for eternity. God of heaven, there's homes represented here, marriages and families. And, Father, I pray, dear God, that we take to heart some of these principles, these practical steps, so that, Father, as men and as women, we will command and we will be able to, Father, encourage our households and to be indeed the leaders that we need to be. And Father, again, I thank you for just the, the privilege to pastor this church. And I ask, Lord, that you'd help me now to be an encouragement and a help to it. Well, thank you. In Christ's name, amen. So we continue on now with our study and we, we go to number four. And number four is, do not permit, if we're going to command our, our children and our households well, we, need, we cannot permit foul language ungodly symbols, sinful behavior, or rebellious attitudes place in our home. We can't give them place in our home. We cannot permit foul language, ungodly symbols, sinful behavior, or rebellious attitudes place in our home. Take your Bible, look over the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 6, would you please? 2 Corinthians chapter 6. <clears throat> We're going to begin in verse 14. We're going to read through verse 18 tonight. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, you're probably, as you turn there, you'll be going to say, saying to yourself, well, I think this sounds familiar to me. I, I believe it looks familiar, and you will be right about that. <clears throat> Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? What concord hath Christ with Belial? What part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And, I, and, and will be a father unto you, and <clears throat> ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Now again, we're admonished, obviously, to be separate, as individuals. There's no doubt about that, that God demands separation as individuals in our world, from the world. But the fact is today is that that separation doesn't end just there as individuals. Not only should each believer be separate, but so should every home be separate. Every home ought to have a distinction from the world. I mean, there are worldly homes. Just like there are worldly people, there are worldly homes. May I say today that as believers, we should not be worldly people. We should not be worldly individuals. But our homes shouldn't be worldly either. There's an element of separation that comes with the Christian life. 
And the fact is, is that we ought to be distinct and we ought to be different because of the, our faith in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> now again, you cannot permit or allow the world in your home or you're going to have a worldly culture in the home. And that worldly culture will only breed worldliness in the lives of your family. And there is a battle for our children today. And may I say today as believers, as long as we are not on the job, as long as we're not perched on that wall, as long as we fail to, to draw the line in the sand as leaders in our homes, as moms and as dads, and as, as leaders in that household, may I say today that our children would certainly have a game plan for themselves, and Satan we know does for sure. And he wants to wreck and ruin their minds, and he wants to ruin their lives. And may I say it is our job as believers and as parents and as commanding our households and our children well to draw some lines in the sand and say we're going to have some separation here. We're not going to look like the world. We're not going to act like the world in our home. We're not going to be like the world in our household. And things are going to be a little different. You say, why is that so important? Well, because I'll tell you what, we're in a battle, as I said. Take your Bible, look at Matthew chapter 12, verse 43 through 45. You and I are described as households or as, ho as homes. Okay, as we look at our bodies, we, we're a house. And I want you to understand that if we're not careful, we can allow certain things and certain, <clears throat> certain entities even in our own, own lives. Matthew chapter 12, verse 43. It's talking about unclean spirits. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and findeth none. Then he said, I will return into my house from whence I came out. When he's come, he findeth it empty, swept and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation. Now again, you and I are described as homes. That's important to understand. And in this case, we've got a situation where there was an unclean spirit. That unclean spirit takes a walk, a hike, leaves that house. And next thing you know, he comes back and he finds it nice and swept. And he says, hey, why not bring some of my buddies in? Let me tell you, those, those aren't the kind of people you want to hang out with. Now, notice something else about us. Not only are we described as a house, but the house is accessible by way of a door. I don't know about you, but when I go home tonight, I'm not going to go through a window. I'm going to go through a door to get inside. Notice what the Bible says over in the book of Revelation chapter 3, verse 20 again. <clears throat> it says there in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. I understand doctrinally what that's talking about. I understand it's dealing with the church and Christ standing on the outside knocking. I realize that. But there's a tremendous application there as well. We often look at it and we say, okay, well, the church may have its heart, its door closed to Christ, but every man, every woman, every boy and every girl can have their heart open to Christ by permitting Him entrance. May I say that you have a door in your heart as well. And let me tell you the way that, that Satan and the way that evil influences and demonic spirits even enter into the heart of a man or a woman is through a door. And he enters into the house of your life. And he takes and prepares a stronghold there. 
and He will rule and reign in your life if you will let Him. And someone says, you believe that Christians can be, can be uh, possessed? Well, I don't know about that exactly, but what I do know is you can be oppressed. And I know that you can let Satan rule and run your life just like any lost man or woman can. And may I say today that you and I, in our households, we better command our children and our households well. And we cannot permit things like foul and wicked and horrible language in our home. We can't allow ungodly symbols that draw attention to demonic spirits. We can't permit sinful behavior and rebellious attitudes that are right out of the pit of hell itself and not think somehow that Satan and his demons won't have an impact in the lives of our children and our home. We better be serious about this thing. We are living in a world today. We want to believe that everything's rosy and sweet and nice. But let me tell you, there is a spiritual warfare and battle taking place even in this building tonight, right where you sit and right in the air in which we are breathing. They're battling and they are warring and they are fighting amongst one another. Satan accesses our minds and our feelings when we open a doorway and leave it open. But we got to be careful. Don't think for a minute that we don't draw the attention of Satan and his demons when we permit sinful behavior and attitudes and sinful symbols in our home. My goodness, how ridiculous would it be for you to allow your child to have a pentagram on his wall or to have a Ouija board in his room? How ridiculous would that be? And yet so many times, even as believers, we are ignorant to his devices, even though he says we shouldn't be. God help us to realize that we are to command our children and our households. And if we're not commanding them, somebody else will. Don't leave the door of your heart open or your mind unattended. Don't do that. People say, I'm just going to veg out in front of the TV. If you're really truly vegging out and you're just taking it in without conscious awareness of what you're receiving, let me tell you, friend, Bad mistake. Bad mistake. <clears throat> you ought to be aware of everything coming into your mind and body. And that's what's so dangerous about alcohol or drugs is because there's an element where the awareness drops and all of a sudden we are open to the attack of our culture, our society, and Satan, the God of it all. The home is to be a safe haven from the stress of the workplace, from the frantic pace of our culture, and from the temptations of this world. The home's to be an environment that relaxes and rejuvenates, refreshes and restores. And the fact is, is we cannot allow the world into our homes, or our safe haven will soon disappear, and Satan will gain a stronghold. So number four tonight, do not permit foul language, ungodly symbols, sinful behavior or rebellious attitudes placed in your home. It seems almost ridiculous to even have to say that in a church, doesn't it? But let's just be frank and honest. Our homes aren't everything they're cracked up to be. We need to get real and honest about things. And it's not just what you let your children say. It's not just what you say even. Think about what we allow in through that television sometimes or through the Internet and through the media, social media. We need to be so careful what we're permitting in our homes and in our lives. And let's dare say, I would dare say that I think every one of us could say, we probably allow too much. 
Say, well, I go to work and I can't control that. That's fine, but you can control your household. That is your domain. God placed you in charge, sir. And ma'am, if you're there and daddy's out working, may I say, that's your domain to care for and to ensure that it's a safe haven for your children. God help us to have a home where we're not permitting things like foul language, ungodly symbols, sinful behavior, and rebellious attitudes placed in our home. Number five, <clears throat> if we're going to we're going to command our children, our households well, it's a good idea to reject any murmuring, complaining, or gossip. Reject any murmuring, complaining, or gossip. Now, this one here does not go on in the households of members of this church. I'm just mentioning so that we can... In short, it never does start. Because I'm sure it does not happen. It doesn't happen in my home. It doesn't happen in yours at all, ever. I know that. But I thought I'd at least bring it to our attention tonight. Reject any murmuring, complaining, or gossip. One of the most challenging tasks for parents is to direct, correct, and infect our children in this area of the tongue. Whether you believe it or not, you have more influence on their tongue than anyone else in the world. At least while they're young. Now, <clears throat> watch. This is an amazing thing to me. I remember years ago when my aunt sent her child to school. And he came back with four-letter words already his first day of kindergarten. And she said, what in the world happened? I'll tell you what happened. He heard some things and it stuck. May I say that your children and I don't have to hear much? It sticks pretty quick and pretty easy. And you know what? When we are the culprits, when we're the ones advocating issues like murmuring, <clears throat> oh, I just don't like this, and this just doesn't, I don't, I'm not a fan of that, and I just don't understand why it has to be that way, and I just don't get why so-and-so thinks they run the show, and I don't understand why... And we murmur and we complain. And did you hear about so-and-so? Can you believe that they let their child do this? Can you understand? I can't even believe that they're so stupid to let their... Do you realize when you're the one saying those things and your children are listening to that junk? Do you realize what you're really teaching and training? And by the way, notice I said that we are to command our children and our households. That includes us then. That means we shouldn't allow those things in our, our, on our lips and in our mouths either. But I'm an adult, and I have a right to an opinion. You do have a right to an opinion, and you can have it. But may I say, many times, all of us in this room would be much better served to express our opinions to the Heavenly Father than to the people on earth who really have no clue how to handle it. All we do is discourage people. All we do is make things more complicated. All we do in most cases is create... Conclusions that aren't even true by our constant gossip or complaining or murmuring. Turn, if you would, to James chapter 3. There is nothing more vile than your tongue and mine. Nothing. Not one thing in this world more vile than our tongues, the Bible says. 
Notice what it says. This is amazing, really. Because, you know, we think about things like going out and committing adultery or doing horrible crimes against humanity. And that, 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 those are horrible things. But notice what the Bible says about this little thing in our mouth. It's amazing. My brethren, be not many masters, verse 1, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, excuse me, for in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a what? Perfect man. Wow, that's huge. You you know why the preacher will, will never stand up and tell you that you know I was kind of I was being facetious. I don't know if some of you knew I was joking about the fact that that doesn't happen in my home or yours. Because see, God would prove me a liar right there. You get what I'm saying? I was just kind of being facetious. But nonetheless, and I knew you knew that. But anyway, I'm being facetious again. But nonetheless, if any man offend not in word, the same as a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. You know what he's saying? If you can control your tongue. Guess what else you can control? Every aspect of your body. That means you'll use your hands for God's glory. Your feet for God's glory. And every aspect of your body for God's glory. You'll have control over that if you have control over this. Isn't that amazing? Now notice he goes on to say, verse 3, Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouth that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which, though they be so great... And are driven of force, fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. <laughs> behold how great a matter, uh, excuse me, behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body." And setteth on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell. I want you to think about how many times you've invited Satan into your home through that. How many times you told your children that it's all right to invite a smoky, sinful, wicked, eternal flame into your home. It's all right to have a little hell on earth in our homes. It's okay. It's all right. It's because it's natural. It's normal, kids. That's not normal for Christians. That's not what it ought to be. Remember, we we talked about this. See, biblically, your child will either be bound or, or, or freed from snares based upon your leadership or lack thereof in this area. Proverbs chapter 12. Turn there, would you? Proverbs chapter 12, verse 13 through 14. The Word of God says, The wicked is snared by the transgression of his lips, but the just shall come out of trouble. A man shall be satisfied with good by the fruit of his mouth, and the recompense of a man's hand shall be rendered unto him. Now notice, there's the wicked who is snared. brought captive, bound by the transgression of their lips. On the other hand, a man shall be satisfied with good by the fruit of his mouth. So we can use our lips for good or bad. We can use our tongue for right or wrong. We can, it's our decision how we utilize it. 
But notice again, our children could be snared. They could be bound. They could ultimately be in chains because of their tongue. And if we don't train them up properly, if we give them the wrong advice, if we don't teach them from action and show them how to live their life and how to talk and how to to, to share with their tongue and, and what's right and what's wrong, I'll tell you what, we can bind them. Their whole life can be a a road of ups and downs, relationships built and destroyed by their tongues. If you can't say something nice, say nothing. That's what we used to say. My mom used to say that to me all the time. If you can't say something nice, say nothing. And I'm like, that's stupid. I mean, I used to get sick of it. I mean, I'm over here. She's, I'm like, he's a jerk, Mom. He's an idiot. And she's like, if you can't say something nice, say nothing. And I'm like, ooh. She wouldn't listen to it. It wasn't right. You don't talk like that. That's wrong. If you can't say something nice, say nothing. Then just shut your mouth, Mark. But I don't want to hear it. How many times would it serve us well talking to church members that want to share something critical, cynical, or negative, and us just say, I don't want to hear it. Shut your mouth. Well, I couldn't do that. I'd offend my friend, and I'm supposed to be their confidant. And they share with me things that just they can't share with other people. You know, they shouldn't be sharing with anybody if it's that critical and cynical and, and that, that, that discouraging. I'm sorry. I, if you can't say something nice, say nothing. Yeah, but I have to get it off my chest. Shut up. I don't want to hear it. You say, shut up's a bad word. No, it's not. You've been told it's a bad word. By society. It's six letters. It's one word for me. We always hear four-letter words. That's a six-letter word. In that case, you have the authority to say it because you're trying to spare yourself and them being bound. Bound, bound by our tongues. See, an environment that is filled with critical, cynical, and complaining members will never promote or provide us with a restful and peaceful home. Every day, your kids come home. The teacher's a jerk. They told me I had to turn in my... I don't understand why I have so much homework all the time. I'm sick of it. I take it. I hate it. And don't tell me your kids don't act like that. They're just like us. And the fact is, we have to learn to control that. And then we can't allow them to act like that. we got to train them up right. we got to say, listen, that's your teacher. You do what your teacher says. And if we honestly believe there's something wrong with the teacher, then we privately go to that teacher and discuss it and talk to them. And we never let our child know we're undermining the authority. Don't let your kids complain about every little thing down the pike. There's times that they need to express themselves. There are times that you need to hear their concerns and their questions. But when it becomes just simple criticism, when it's just simply murmuring, when it's just complaining all the time, enough is enough. Get real, guys. You can't enjoy life being a complainer. You're miserable. And that's what we need to teach our kids. Gossip never does anything to sure up the foundation. Strengthen the faint-hearted or steady the faith. All it ever does is weakens the foundation, wearies the faint-hearted, and wrecks the faith. Be careful that you don't get caught up in that gossip stuff. Don't allow it in your home. And gentlemen, if you know your wife's a gossip, then you need to address it. Yes, sir. 
You command in your household well? Well, I can't control her. Uh, well, you can do your part to try. I think you'd be surprised if you started talking and acting like you're supposed to talk and act. You might be surprised. She may actually listen to you. You know, let's just face it. That's usually why we don't respect the people that we're even married to half the time. Well, you don't tell me what to do. You're, you do this. If you, you know, what's so bad? Okay, so maybe I'm not perfect, but you're not either. I guarantee you that. Well, you know what? As Christians, we ought to be striving toward being a perfect, well-matured believer in that sense. If there's areas in our life that we know are inconsistent, we ought to deal with them. So that when we do take a stand on an area in our home, we don't provoke our children to wrath now. And we don't cause our wives to look at us and go, you're a big hypocrite. You want everybody else to obey the word, but you don't. We've got to be careful with that, fellas. Gossip never does anything good, and neither does murmuring, complaining, and being critical. Don't allow it in your home. Reject it. Just don't let that stuff in your home. Number six. Thank you, preacher. This is awesome. Cultivate an atmosphere and spirit of love and acceptance in the home. Cultivate an atmosphere of, and spirit of love and acceptance in the home. Now, that is not... This doesn't happen by chance either, by the way. Now, I'll be honest with you. I, I grew up in a home where... This spirit, this atmosphere was in my home. My, my mom set the tone. She, she had a spirit of love. She always was accepting of us, you know. I mean, we could egg a house. We could do anything. She still said, don't worry about it, honey. I love you. No, I'm, I'm teasing. We, that wasn't true. No, I'm, I'm not, not like that, okay. But she was. She was extremely a loving person, a giving person. There was a spirit of, an atmosphere of love, a spirit of love in our home. I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you. And, and, and so my dad wasn't quite that way. Okay, now he was a little different. He was a little different. But, but see, there was a good balance there. And <laughs> yeah, so, so let's move on from that. This. Okay, so this spirit, yes, wonderful spirit, amen, this, <laughs> this spirit is achieved only by one way, it's, you know what, you only, uh, you only achieve this spirit by obeying scriptural principles concerning relationships. You say, what do you mean by that? I mean, how are we going to cultivate an atmosphere of love and a spirit of love in our home a spirit of acceptance in our home. Well, you have to embrace biblical principles. Biblical principles concerning relationships. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32 real quick, would you? Now, and listen, in our home, I, you know, I knew, I knew if I did something wrong, I was going to get lit up. I knew that. Had no doubt about it. I still remember using those phrases, and it's not politically correct to say this these days, but I would say, man, if I would do that... If my dad caught me, he'd kill me. You know, my mom caught me, she'd kill me. Well, I wouldn't say that about my mom. But I'd say that about my dad. Okay, so, and, and you know what? We, we, we said that, and we didn't really mean that they would have killed us. But we, we all understood what that meant in the day. You can't say that anymore, friend. Don't say that out in public somewhere. 
But anyway, we used to say those things. Now, here's the thing, though. I want you to notice Ephesians 4.32. It says, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Now, I want you to notice some scriptural principles concerning relationships here. One, be ye kind one to another. Well, I'll tell you what. You want to cultivate an atmosphere of, and a spirit of love in your home, a spirit of acceptance, then you know what? You need to cultivate an attitude of kindness. There's a spirit of kindness in your home. People need to be kind to one another. Now, brothers and sisters are going to fight. That's just the reality of life. But as parents, we have to draw the line somewhere. I remember one time, <laughs> I remember one time my dad and mom came home, me and my brother was fighting upstairs in our room. My brother, he was, he was like getting, you know, he was one of those guys working out with weights and stuff, and I wasn't yet. And, and so he was like slamming me around the room, and I was flying up against walls. And, and, then, and then he, 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 you know, my dad comes up, you know, and my dad being the very subtle, very kind-hearted, tender person that he was, he comes running, he looks in that door and sees us going at it, and he thought, I think he thought my brother, you know, one of I tried to throw a punch at one of because my dad was big about that. You, you may get into it with your brothers, but you don't fist fight with your brothers. Well, he didn't want that. He wouldn't allow that to happen. But anyway, he came upstairs, man, and I mean, he, he hit the door. He said, anybody's going to fight in this house, it's going to be me. And man, I mean to tell you, he came in there and started flinging us around, and I remember... I remember me and my brother looking at each other like, wow, woo, all of a sudden we's on the same team, brother, I mean, I'll tell you, we's on the same team, and, and, and I mean to tell you, it was on, you know, and, uh, but it was like, you know, my dad would only let things go so far like that, because you know what, we were supposed to be brothers, and brothers don't right. beat one another's up, that's not acceptable in this home, and, and I'll be honest with you, I, my dad may not have always been right in everything he did, but I guarantee you one thing. He, he was the head of the household. <laughs> and, you know, and, and you know what? You know, we're not going to be perfect. Guys, gals, none of us. We're not going to be perfect. We're going to make mistakes here and there. And I'm not saying what he did was wrong. I'm, I mean, that's, you guys, I know in this culture we're raised in, oh, you know, oh, abuse. But, uh, but I think I turned out okay. Except for the, <laughs> except for the twitch every once in a while. <laughs> Other than that, I'm all right. Be kind one to another. Be kind. And not only that, but the Bible goes on to say tender-hearted. Tender-hearted. <laughs> I remember one time, and all these stories are coming back, but I remember, it's like a bad nightmare. But anyway, I remember one time, we were, it's not in the notes, I promise you that. But me and my brother, we decided, we came home from school one day, and instead, we went to the, uh, we went to the library. <laughs> See, my mom still remembers that one. Yeah, we went to the library after school. Now, again, we didn't think nothing of it. I had no idea. I don't know what happened. I don't know if wires got crossed. I don't know if I thought my brother told my parents or if I, he thought I told them. I don't know what happened. But what I do know is that when we got home, it was like an hour and a half late. And, I mean, we were at the library, so we were doing nothing wrong. We weren't even that old, really. I mean, I don't think we were more than, you know, just early junior hires maybe at the most. Man, I mean to tell you, we came home and we're like, <laughs> we come walking in like nothing's wrong. Didn't even have a clue. Man, I mean to tell you, oh boy, they, oh man, did they light into me and my brother. Where were you at? 
Why didn't you tell us? Where, where were you? We was at the library, Mom, Dad. What do you mean you were at the library? We didn't have a clue where you were. Are you crazy? We thought you were dead on the side of the road somewhere. I mean, they were going off on us. We're like, <laughs> you know, here we are sitting in a chair just, you know, wham, 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 you know. And finally, finally, all of a sudden, my dad says, oh, my, I'm just so happy you're safe. I'm so happy you're safe. He gave us both hugs. My mom, of course, probably was blubbering by then. (laughs) As hard as that was at first, let me tell you something. I saw a tender-hearted man. (laughs) Now listen, I'm telling you, if you're going to cultivate an atmosphere and a spirit of love in your home, there has to be a tender-heartedness. Now listen, it doesn't mean that you can't be tough at times. And it doesn't mean you can't draw the line in the sand. But let me tell you, there's a heart, there's a tenderness there for the well-being of your children in that case. Not only that, but notice it says forgiving one another. Boy, I'll tell you what, if you can't forgive, you will never have a home where there's a spirit of true love and acceptance. Listen, a, a child should never have to worry whether or not mom or dad will, you know, just discard them on the side of the road. They ought to know that their parents are in it for the long haul. They they love them and that love is unconditional. Oh, that doesn't mean they're going to allow them to, you know, do whatever they want and live however they want and still reap the benefit of being obedient when they're disobedient. I I understand all that. You've got to draw some lines. I understand that. But no matter what, here's the thing I knew. I knew that if I ended up in prison for murder today, I still got a mom and a dad that would love me. I knew that. Had no doubt of that. Now, you know, before the death sentence was carried out, they'd probably carry it out for the state. But nonetheless, I knew I was loved. I knew that. And you know what? You, you know, you need to cultivate that atmosphere. And you can't do that if you don't have a spirit of forgiveness. And by the way, Mom, if, if you're, you're the one that goes around and, and, and or maybe, Dad, you're this guy, I don't know, uh, silent treatment for two weeks because you didn't do what I wanted you to do. And man, Mom and Dad, it's obvious they're not getting along. You know what you're saying? We don't love unconditionally. We, we don't forgive the way the Bible says we ought to. We hold grudges around here, buddy. Boy, let me tell you something. Let your child be hurt by a teacher. Let your child be wronged by a police officer. Let your child be maligned or mistreated by a Sunday school teacher or a church leader. They'll never come back. They may never come back because they learned how to handle disagreements in the home. I know that's harsh, but let me tell you something. If you want to rule, so to speak, your home, you want you want a household that's being commanded well, children that are commanded well, we need to do it God's way. That means that kindness has to be priority. It has to be right at the top of our list in our home. Tenderheartedness has got to be there, and forgiveness toward one another has to be there. We've got to demonstrate that in our homes, in our lives, and between one another as husbands and wives, so that our children pick up on this. And there's a spirit of love and acceptance in the home. So many, probably even in this room, don't know what it was to grow up in a home where you truly felt accepted, where you felt unconditional love. You may have never felt that. But let me tell you something. 
the temptation without realizing this, the, 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 uh, so many more times than not, we take that into the next level. And in our own homes, that's how we end up doing because we mimic what we have grown and learned. I just want to encourage you, look at the Word of God and achieve this, this cultivate this atmosphere and spirit of love and acceptance in your home by applying biblical principles concerning your relationships. And again, this also is achieved by realizing, and this is important, that we are all miserable failures without the grace of God. In, in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, the Bible says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am, Paul says. And His grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. John Bradford refused to acknowledge the authority of the Pope and was convicted of trying to stir up a mob back in the 1500s. Queen Mary had Bradford locked up in the Tower of London. One day, while there, Bradford looked down and saw a criminal being led to execution, and he uttered his famous statement. He said, There, but for the grace of God, goes John Bradford. That's a criminal going to the gallows, being burned at the stake. There, but for the grace of God, goes John Bradford. Well, that'll humble you if you really believe that. All of a sudden, the mistakes of your family, the mistakes of your children even, and some of the errors that they, that some of the, even the, the, the rebellion that they have will break your heart first before it causes you to want to break them. I'm just telling you, there has to be a humble spirit. I mean, this attitude that I'm the only perfect person in this house, I'm the only perfect person in this world, is not a biblical, scriptural perspective at all. And we, as believers, ought to be the first humbled. It doesn't mean we allow our children to get away with murder. That's not what I'm talking about again. But what it does mean is that we understand that they are simply human beings. And just like we made mistakes growing up, they've made some mistakes growing up. And boy, that'll help temper sometimes the temper. It helps to bring us a little lower and we realize, wow, if it wasn't for the grace of God... I could be in a real mess right now. And you know what? I'm going to try to demonstrate a little grace here. Now, I may have to correct them. I may have to discipline them. But I'm going to do it with a loving heart because I know that I could be in the same boat. As a matter of fact, I remember a few years back I was. Boy, isn't that how we ought to approach it? So we notice this taking place. Now, again, no tolerant. we don't tolerate open sin and rebellion. That's not what I'm talking about. But we certainly do exhibit the grace of God. And then I'm just going to end this because I want to get this over with. Last, don't allow anyone to be lazy. Okay, now again, we're talking about, we're talking about practical steps that we can take to command our children and households well. Don't allow anyone to be lazy. Um. You require everybody in your house to pull their weight and contribute. Now, again, I understand that there are roles, and, and I realize that. I'm not a real fan of, of children doing mom's job and, you know, 
mom doing dad's job. And I, I'm not a fan of that, okay? I, I, I like things biblical. But what I'm going to tell you is this. There's not a child in a household that shouldn't have something to do by way of contributing to the household and the family. Because what happens is, is we raise them up believing that, that they are entitled to things. That it all comes cheap and it all comes free. And I say, that's not life. So we, we, we say, okay, we are a home. We are a household. We are a team and we work together as a team. We laugh together. We cry together. We rejoice together. We get down the dumps together sometimes when it comes to hurt and heartache in our lives, our family. I mean, we're going to celebrate together, and if have to be, we're going to fight together. I'm not talking about each other. I'm talking about others. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. Somebody jumped on me, buddy, and they had more than just one-on-one, and if one of my brothers didn't jump in and do something about it, they're getting a whooping at home. Because you don't sit and watch two or three guys beat up your brother That's when you're right. standing by the way. You jump in that thing. It's a family affair. That's right. Now, we have to all contribute. Pull our weight. Let me give you three results of permitting laziness to exist in our homes. At least in the lives of our children. Here they, here's three of them. Let me just give you three of them. Number one, if we allow our children to be lazy they will end up with nothing. You say, what? Yeah, Proverbs 13, 4. The soul of the sluggard desireth and hath nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. Now, you can't control what your children do when they're outside the care of your home, but while they're in the care of your home and under your roof, I believe, without a doubt, everybody has to pull their weight. Okay, maybe your son or daughter has graduated high school and they're living in your house and you got a son that's working, a, that's out in the workplace and he's not going to school and there's no reason why he shouldn't be working and he is working. He says, I got a do- job, dad, full-time job. I think your son ought to contribute somehow. Yes, sir. I just think he should. If he's in school, I don't really worry about that. If my children are in school, I don't care what age they are. They're in school. I let them go to school. I understand things like that. Man, school bills are outrageous, and they're working diligently to pay off those school bills. And I'm not going to ask my child to pay rent when he's going to college and trying to do better for himself and ultimately provide a retirement for me. But, but by the same token, by the same token... If that, that joker thinks he's going to live in my house and he, he's not going to be over there helping out with some of the chores around the house because he's working too much and he's just going to come home and sit in front of the TV, eat all the food and sit and relax and kick back while mama takes good care of him like she does me. Uh-uh. Not without contributing something. If it's not, if it's not physical labor, it's going, to be food, it's going to be money, food and the things that need to be in the house. Something. Somehow. I don't care if it's a token, but there has to be an element of contributing to the household. Something. Because otherwise, if we allow them just to be lazy, they're going to end up with nothing. Number two, if we allow them to be lazy, they will always have an excuse. You say, really? Proverbs 24. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 4. The sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold. Therefore shall he beg and harvest and have nothing. Notice the sluggard... This guy, 
he's not going to plow because it's too cold outside. Well, I can't get up and go to work today. It's just a little bit cold out. He's always got an excuse why he's not doing what he's supposed to do. And let me tell you something. One day, he's going to get married to some girl that didn't really think it through. And some dad who wasn't man enough to tell his daughter she ain't the man he needs to marry. Just thought I'd throw that out. I know I'm stepping on toes now. But I'm going to tell you something. We've got we to gotta command our households. Now listen, your daughter may marry somebody you don't want them to marry, but they would know at least that I don't approve of it. They'd at least know where I stood. That's all I'm saying. And if you didn't say nothing, then it's on you too now. But as a dad, I have a responsibility to at least say, I'm not so convinced this is the right one. I'm worried about some things. Dad, I think it's fine. Well, honey, you know, I hope you'd maybe slow it down, take some of my advice. But if that's up to you, in the long run, you get to a certain place in your life, you've got to live with your own decisions, make your own choices. I understand that. Hey, you know what? But I did what I could. I did my part. You say, well, did you give them away or not? I don't know. That's a decision I'd have to make at that point. But what I do know is they're going to definitely know where I stand on it. It's too much at stake. But in this case, this sucker is sitting or laying down in bed in the morning, won't get out of bed because he says it's too cold outside. In another passage in Proverbs, he says, there's a lion roaring out there. It's dangerous out there. It feels a lot more cozy and safe in here, honey. You know, I'm fragile and all. Now listen to me. We cannot allow our children to grow up without having responsibility in the home, without contributing to the family, because when they get older, they will feel the same entitlement. Finally, see, if we allow them to be lazy, they will always think they are right. Okay, so they'll end up with nothing. They'll always have an excuse, and they're going to think they're right. Proverbs 26, 16 says, The sluggard is wiser in his own conceit than seven men that can render a reason. In his own mind, he believes he is right for living without purpose. He convinces himself that it's okay to not support and to raise up his children and to care for his family. He believes this stuff. She's the one who says, I'm just, I don't like getting out of bed and the kids are just going to have to get ready on their own and I just can't get up in the mornings. I'm really tired all the time. I struggle, you know. I just, life's just too tough. No, we have to teach them a little bit of discipline. We have to teach them a little bit of commitment and to be a part of something. Laziness cannot be permitted in our homes. They just can't. And it starts with dad and mom. Your children, daddy, ought to think you are the hardest worker they ever saw in their life. Got to believe that. And they ought to look at mom and say, man, she just never rests. She's always busy. Because we know as a mama, there's always something to be done in the house. Now, I know that doesn't sit well in our culture, in our society. But those are just some things that I thought I'd share that I believe will help us to command our children and households well. For I know him, that he will command his children his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord, to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. Boy, God could count on Abraham. 
Can God count on you? Can he count on me? Boy, we've got to work at this. And listen, none of, us got to, we're not, none of us are perfect. We all need to work on these things. The moment we think we got it all figured out, we realize, yep, there's another twist in the road. But we're allowing Christ to mold us. And every decision that we fail at, falter in, we say, let me learn from that mistake. I don't want to make it again. And we allow God to lead us and guide us and overcome those areas of our life of weakness. So may God help us. I believe in the room, I think there's a room full of folk that want to raise a godly seed and a room full of folks that want to see Christ magnified and exalted in their life. I have no doubt of that. Let's make sure that we don't get so spiritual that we forget to be practical. And when I say that, there's really no distinction between spirituality and practicality. But so many people think that's the case. They say things like, You can't be so spiritually minded that you're of no earthly value. The last time I checked, the more spiritual you are, the more practical you get, the more hands-on you are. So I don't think that's even a legitimate statement personally. Now, we can be consumed with higher learning and all of that to the point where we're not exercising it. Well, that's not spirituality, my friend. Spirituality always translates to action just like love does. All right, well, anyway, that's what we find. So my question again is, will God, would God see us in the same light as Abraham? Would he be able to say, hey, you're ruling, or should I say commanding your children and your household well? Well, I'll tell you what, that's convicting to me. My children are older now, but they're grandchildren coming along. And I don't want anything to change. I want them to see in action what the biblical home ought to be. I want them to see that. Father, we come to you. We need you.